I don't even want to touch the markets because I can't control it. I want something I can actually control. I have something that I can actually exit out based on market dynamics. And after that, I was like, it literally was some nurse beat a patient up. And then like it went down and then it went up like two months later. And I was like, dude, I would have literally <laughs> had like a six or seven X on. I would have been crazy. But after that, I was like, I do not want to get into the stock market. I just don't like the fact that I can't control it. Real estate, I can at least control. I could see like trends come. They could get out. I could exit. I could cash out, refinance, or I could, you know, 1031. You're listening to the Millionaire's Unveiled podcast, where you'll hear the stories and interviews of everyday millionaires. We'll unveil their decisions, their strategies, and their current portfolio allocation. Now to your hosts, Clark Sheffield and Jace Mattinson. All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Millionaires Unveiled podcast. I'm here with Jace. This is episode 189. Jace, what's going on? No, not a whole lot. Just rolling into the summer here and, uh, you know, graduation just happened for most people that, you know, high school, college, moving on to the next phases of our life. It's getting exciting, you know, summertime. Yeah. You got any big plans? <laughs> How long is this market going to keep going? I don't know if we're talking stock market or housing market or lumber market or whatever. Uh, it is insane. I'll tell you on the lumber side, at least, that there are some more mills coming online. So I think we're expecting to get some price relief here, at least probably into the fall or late into the year, hopefully. You know, nothing's ever guaranteed. But in terms of house prices, man, it's just it's just skyrocketing. Most markets that I've looked at or, or looked at or have people in or that I know about. So who knows on that on that front? I mean, interest rates are still pretty low. Seems like they're going to stay pretty low. So purchasing power is continuing to, to, to be large for most people. You know, and there's a bunch of a bunch of money floating around, a lot of liquidity in the economy. So who knows, man? You got a crystal ball? Yeah, maybe ball? that's what it'll take, right? Is the the increase in uh, in interest rates? Yeah, I mean that maybe could be one of the levers, right? Slows it down, or you know, who knows? I mean, he's got right. infrastructure bill up for right for for debate right now, and there's all sorts of things that are moving markets, and you know, continuing to push stock prices higher and housing prices higher. So. Yeah, yeah. So so just quick summary from last week. We had Robert, 28-year-old dentist. A lot of people wrote in this week with questions for him. So just a reminder that you can go on the website. If you click on the podcast tab, you can click on the, the actual episode. So this would have been episode 188. And you can comment or leave comments. And then, of course, we'll let our millionaires know that that's there and they can come in and respond to questions. So hopefully they do that. And, and, and then you can interact a little bit and ask some of these more personalized questions because I know, I know there were a lot of questions on, on his net worth. So just wanted to touch base on that. In today's episode, we have Jonathan. He has a net worth of $2.9 million, all real estate. So interesting interview with him. I feel like it's been a while, Jay, since we had somebody that was all in real estate. Yeah. Of course, it seems like a lot of people dabble, but haven't had somebody for a while that's all real estate. And we have some coming up that are all market investments as well. So kind of hitting both sides as well as some small business owners and, and people that are split between numerous back buckets coming up. So fun interview with him. If you're interested in any multifamily investments, send us an email, millionairesunveiled at gmail.com, or you can you can go online and, and learn more about that at our website, millionairesunveiled.com. If you'd like to be on the show or if you'd like to write in or ask a question, you can leave a, a voicemail and we'll play it during the show for our millionaires. So feel free to do that. Uh, again, website, millionairesunveiled.com. So thanks for listening. Thanks for tuning in. If you enjoy the show, we appreciate you leaving a five-star review on either iTunes or Stitcher or SoundCloud or any of the platforms you listen to. It helps us reach new millionaire interviewees and, and keep things going here. So just wanted to read a, an inter, uh, review we got this week from Midwest to L.A. 
titled My Favorite Podcast. It says, Jason Clark have struck gold. This is without a doubt my favorite podcast and the first one that's motivated me to dig into the archived episodes so I can hear every last one. The co-hosts don't make recommendations, but rather observations as they interview millionaire next door types from all around the country. I've shared episodes with friends and already started making small pivots in my own life to get 1% better. Thanks to the best practices I'm picking up from the millionaires, multimillionaires, and soon-to-be millionaires who have each achieved success in their own unique way. And success, as they reinforce with each episode, is not about the money, but rather the happiness, experiences, and lifestyle freedom that money provides. Keep up the great work, guys. So thanks for that, Midwest to LA, and thanks for listening. And of course, thanks to all of our millionaires. That's what makes this show keep going. And without any further delay, let's get into the episode with Jonathan. Jonathan, do you want to just give us a little about your background and what you're up to now? Sure. Thanks for having me on. I love the show. Involved in the manufactured housing space. It's a very unique niche, mobile home parks, some people call them. With a partner, we have a mobile home park fund, and I also have an info course in that, and a couple of digital digital products, including a digital agency and two e-com stores. Wow, you're a busy man. Yes, yes. But the digital part is convenient because it's mostly automated, and you could uh, build systems and structures and teams. And the mobile home park space is, it's a boulder, you know, it's kind of like multifamily, but you can still really build up the structure and bring in right pieces and puzzles and moves pretty well. Totally. Is there one you enjoy more than the other? I actually like both. I like the digital side because you could do it while you're anywhere. Like I could do, you know, check out uh, you know, the old school, Ronald Reagan, trust me, verify, I could look over the shoulder, I could see what's going on digitally anytime, the systems process and like the algorithms. But I do like the manufacturer of mobile home park space because no matter what, it doesn't get beat by technology because no matter what, people need affordable housing. Yeah, totally. So, Jonathan, what is your net worth today? $2.2 million. Awesome. And how is that broken up? It's all real estate, so it's good and bad. <laughs> but uh, right now, my focal point this year is I have the, the fund just came out. So we're acquiring, uh, we're doing a $10 million raise. Uh, so over eight, 10 years, I should go up drastically higher than I also have. Basically, the digital side is more cash flow. So I expect it to go up a lot in the next few years based on like the positioning. And, and when you say it's all real estate, is that all in multi or uh, manufactured housing real estate? Or do you have primary residence or other rentals? Yeah, exactly. It's all manufactured housing. It did be, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with, like Wall Street Journal, they had an article this year. I think it was like January, February. And they, they said literally the best asset class of top performing asset class is very similar to multifamily, very similar. Uh, but they said the best performing during the last downturn is basically because supply and demand was mobile home parks because you can't really develop new ones. It's very hard to get uh, zoning approval. And you need there's about 60 million Americans that need affordable housing and about 12 million mobile homes. So it's just like this whole supply and demand curve. And it really helps serve affordable housing. And you can't develop it, so you control the market, basically. Yeah, that's totally uh, interesting. I want to get more into that. How did you get started in, in manufactured housing? Yeah, great question. Like, literally, when I used to tell my friends like 15 years ago, my dad was a real estate developer, contractor, and I grew up in the, in the 80s. And I literally saw my dad. I uh, had three real estate offices. He did about 30 flips in the 80s. And then in the 90s, he did about uh, 80 custom homes. But late in 2005, 2006, he got his first mobile home park. And when everything else was going down and like having all these problems, and you know, right when the you know last crisis hit, like 2007, the manufactured housing like just was stable, sturdy, and I was like, this is what I need to get into because it just it's unique. But there wasn't like the you know the word of mouth wasn't big back then, 
And I used to tell my friends, they'd all be like, oh, that's really weird. <laughs> they'd be like, this is a really weird niche. I'm like, trust me, trust me. And then like now it's like mainstream media. You have like Wall Street's really big into Warren Buffett has uh, $2 billion companies, two separate billion dollar companies. Uh, he's the biggest manufacturer of financing and new, mo- new home manufacturing. Uh, and additionally, Sam Zell, which is the biggest, considered probably the top real estate investor ever. He's the biggest owner of multifamily the biggest owner of office building and the biggest owner of manufactured housing parks. He sold half his manuf- uh, half his uh, multifamily and half his office and kept all the mobile home parks and supplying more. And so seeing all these trends and then also all the Wall Street firms like Carlisle Group, Apollo, and Blackstone, which are the three biggest private equity, basically the three biggest private equity groups, and they're all buying billions of dollars, including last week, uh, Blackstone, which is the biggest owner of single-family housing in America. To spend five hundred fifty million additionally in the mobile home parks because they see that's the niche going in the future. Yeah, it's definitely an interesting space, and we've had I think a couple guests, Clark, that have been involved in the in the space, but not very many. Uh, definitely not, you know, in terms of the amount of millionaires we've interviewed, definitely not a, a big proportion at all. Most of them have been more involved in in uh, you know single family or multifamily. So. If somebody wants to get started, let's just say, is it easiest to go and invest with with somebody who's got a fund, or is it possible to go buy, you know, a, a handful of these, or or how does it work? Give our listeners kind of a breakdown of how it works. Yeah, great question. And uh, like, I'm not biased on any niches. I like all those. I like multifamily. I like assisted. I like a couple other niches. But what I do like about uh, mobile home parks, I think the best avenue is probably to get your feet boots in the ground just doing a couple flips of like the actual units because you actually see the dynamics that goes on. You see the demographic, you see the challenges. And then probably, I mean, not just because I have a fund, but like any of the funds out there do pretty well. You can kind of, you can get a small taste without putting down, like even if you have a, if you're trying to acquire a small park, you're going to still need three, four hundred, five hundred thousand dollars plus some capex. You don't know the ropes. You could, yeah, you could do some courses, you know, to teach you kind of like the ropes, but you're going to learn, learn, Basically, from having mentors, uh, a fund you get in most of these funds for fifty thousand dollars down, but they also have the quarterly calls. They teach you what what's going on, the demographics, the trends. They kind of give you like a breakdown. I think if you're just trying to get your feet wet, probably the easiest path would be a flip one or two units, like some cheaper units. You get like a like late seventies pre uh, after HUD, uh, early eighties units for five ten grand. Flip it, kind of see how it works, and then also maybe do like a, any of the funds out there are really good. But you're not putting out half a million dollars, six hundred thousand dollars without you know knowing the path. That's probably the easiest way to get started. And then if you kind of learn the ropes, then probably do your own park or do a small park. So you say, Jonathan, just jumping back to your allocation here, you say most of it is in real estate. Mm-hmm. How much of it is in real estate outside of your home, and and how much cash do you hold? Yeah, it's all it's all like I'm basically I'm technically considered a money manager with the fund. We have a couple, I have a couple of properties, but they're, I don't, I'm not a big fan of single family because I don't like the fact that you have the recourse. You have not only that, you don't get the same, like, for example, for the multifamily or mobile parks, you get the, we have a uh, 15 year K1 tax depreciation schedule and multi, and uh, multifamily get 27.5. So I like the, the fact you get the, you know, the tax depreciation schedules on commercial real estate and like I rent. So I rent, I have the cash flow from the properties. Uh, I lived in for the last six years, like pretty prominent building. It's called River North Chicago. It's like, like Derek Rose is one of the units in the same building. He was a former MVP in the NBA. 
uh, a lot of doctors, but I eat the cash flow from the property. So I don't like the fact being tied to a property. I like to actually have income properties that produce more than being tied to like a single family home. Sure. So do you, you don't have any in the market at all? Zero market investments? And single family, no. Not single family in the stock oh, market. I, I'm sorry. Oh, stock market. No, no, actually, yeah. So stock market, I have a, uh, yeah, nothing in the stock market. I used to be, I used to work in the board of trade in Chicago and then actually in the pits and with one of the most successful traders. This is about 15 years ago. And then I had, I bought into SRZ. This is probably 2010 after the last dip. It was a senior, it's assisted living centers. I bought it at around two, two and a quarter. Kept buying in, and I started doing some uh, margin calls. Or not margin calls. I kept buying and uh, kept buying and buying, and then I had a mar- like it literally went from two to two fifty, and then went to like seven, and then there was like it's like straight up like billions episode from Showtime. Somebody, a nurse, beat a patient, and I was borrowing on it because I was like kept going up, going up, and then <laughs> a margin call, multi six figure margin call. I stopped, bought it too, went to the seven. And then came back down, and then it being the number two performing stock of all of 2012, I would have made multi, multi six figures. And I had the margin call, so I lost everything. So after that, I was like, I don't want to do. This. After working the pits and the board trade, which is you know New York and Chicago, the two biggest trading centers, and then I had that uh, professional day comic with Scott Trade. And after that, I was like, I don't even want to touch the markets because I can't control it. I want something I can actually control. I have something that I can actually exit out based on market dynamics. And after that, I was like, it literally was some nurse beat a patient up and then like it went down and then it went up like two months later. And I was like, dude, I would have literally <laughs> had like a six or seven X on it. It would have been crazy. But after that, I was like, I did not want to be in the stock market. Yeah. So when did the shift, was it always that way? Were, were you in the stock? I mean, it sounds like you were in the stock market and had a shift or at, at what age did you decide to go all in on real estate? Yeah, so great question. So I literally worked in the the pits in Chicago from like 2005 to like 2006 and a half, or 2004, 2005 and a half. And so I really got to see like my trader mentor uh, was one of the most successful traders in Chicago and he worked in New York a little bit, but learned the like the trading trends and like he taught me all that. And after that, I waited till after the crash, like in 2009, I started buying after I kept liquid. So I was positioned correctly. I was liquid. I was saving like 35, 40% of all my paychecks from like 2006 to the 2009 after everything dipped. Then I was like, cause I do like real estate. So I like the assisted living uh, sector because there's 10,000 baby boomers. It's been that way for the last retiring every day. And it's been like that for the last 10 years. I'm like, I like this niche. It's just, just like mobile home park. So it really ties in. And I, I researched, uh, it's called Sen- uh, Sunrise, still a huge player in the assisted living Sunrise uh, Senior Healthcare. And the guy, the CEO they brought in was a turnaround expert. I researched him and he's always, he's like a long history of the CEO of like turning on huge companies. And I was like, okay, let me bet my hedge on him. I put everything in that. And like, yeah, I was, I was still young. I was like 28 this time. And I was like, let me put my, let's see what happens with that. And like, it was riding really good. I'm like, okay, let me just keep going down, doubling down, doubling down. And after that, this is 2012. After that, the margin call, I'm like, I'm out. So I don't. I just don't like the fact that I can't control it. Real estate, I can at least control. I could see like trends coming. I could get out. I could exit. I could cash out, refinance, or I could, you know, 1031. So, Jonathan, let me just play devil's advocate here for a second, so, right? Everybody who's invested in real estate since 2010 or 11 has crushed it, right? Wh- where do you see it going? Are you well positioned if there is another downfall? Do you think 
that this has been abnormal or, or what are your plans for the future? Great question. I think, uh, and it all depends on the niche. I think, uh, I think multifamily, depending on the city, it's all comes on the macro or micro data because every region could be like in California, it could be in the Midwest. Every state and every region has different dynamics. Uh, you're going to see, obviously, with on the commercial side, you're going to see retails getting a lot of re- retails getting crushed from e-com. Obviously, hotels, hospitality, restaurants are getting crushed because they can't be open or that you know, 25% occupancy or capacity. Uh, so obviously, that's going to really affect it. I really see my my viewpoint is I think being in affordable housing or just like multifamily, for example, I also like assist living because there's a, I don't know if you're familiar with it, but it's called the uh, Silver Tsunami. They're saying that with the 10,000 baby boomers retiring every day, about one third of single family houses or the next 10 to 15 years will be put in the market. And so certain markets that are heavily senior focused, those seniors are going to like take their, you know, equity, take their the houses and they're going to go to like multifamily, uh, assisted living and mobile home parks. So that's one thing I would suggest is kind of seeing the trends and like the long-term positioning of it. There's 10,000. That's a large percentage. And most of the baby boomers too, there's, I think the average, it's about 30 or 35,000. That's the average senior that has in their cash in the bank account. And they have, most of them have less, about thirty thirty five thousand dollars and then $1,200 a month. So it's going to be multifamily and affordable C-class multifamily. And then you also have multi, uh, mobile home parks. And then if they're affluent, they're going to go to the assisted living. So I think that's kind of trends you want to look out for just based on those trends. So say, say that's that again. What, what percent of the homes you said will become available? This is, yeah, you can Google. There's been a lot of, it's called the Silver Tsunami. It's about one third of the housing from the next 10 to 15 years. I don't know, you know, data could be all construed, but about all the seniors that are baby boomers, it's about one third of the next 10 or 15 years are looking to get out. It's single family. It's going to really affect single family. So if you're in like a Florida market, maybe an Arizona market where it's like a senior centric, and a lot of those, they're not after they cash out of that or they you know sell their property. They're not going to go buy another thirty-year mortgage. They're going to look for assisted living, C-class apartment, maybe B-class, and mobile home parks. So it really fits that trend. Yeah, or they're going to pass away, right? Exactly, exactly. And then and then someone's going to inherit it, and, and their executor is going to sell it or or keep it, I guess. But yeah, probably most likely sell it. And I've seen that too. And another conversation I've seen with that, and I think we've had on the show a couple times, is what happens with all of these rural homes right that people that people move out of and so i think there's a bit of a conversation and unknown there in the sense of okay are are people going to live more urban or more rural right and when all these houses go up for sale because baby boomers pass away or move into assisted living or apartments where where does the housing market the single family housing market go so exactly great question yes keep that in mind that's a great question keep it on that in their thoughts so tell us a little bit about about this fund. This is t- tell us about where people can find it, how they can get a hold of you, and and what you guys are really doing with it. Sure. Yeah. So our focal point is uh, mobile home parks in the Midwest. We like the Midwest because if you go to like California or the you know, East or West Coast and the coastal cities, it's got affordable housing is not affordable anymore. Even like uh, I don't know if you're familiar, it's called uh, Paradise Cove. For example, in Malibu, it's like Matthew McConaughey lives there. It's a mobile home park that has like two to five million dollar houses. Their mobile homes are two to five million dollars, crazy. And then on top of that, they pay uh, I think twenty five, two or three thousand dollar lot rent on top of that. But the, the value to them is it, it's private. They have the same beach. 
has a fifteen twenty million dollar house next door, and the best part is they're not paying hundred thousand dollars in real estate taxes. I think they just pay like a like some like motor vehicle tax or like forty bucks. There was like some big article like Google it. Google it. It's forty dollars. I think they pay in some like so the neighbors like hey we have the same beach as them. They have their five million dollar like mobile home, but they're not paying a hundred thousand dollars per year in, in taxes. And that's another really valuable uh, mobile homes and helping affordable housing is even for example in the Midwest here and these small towns, second and tertiary markets, even like Midwest, like Illinois and California have the two highest, basically the tax overall Illinois and California are horrible for taxes generally, you know, they're notorious for it. We don't get the nice beaches. We don't get the nice weather and we don't have like ocean views. We're in the middle of nowhere, but we still get taxed like crazy. But if you're in this small town, you get the same fire, same police, same school, everything the same, but across the street, in this hundred hundred fifty thousand dollar house, you're paying two to three thousand dollars a year in taxes. But this mobile home across the street, you're paying ten bucks a month, fifteen bucks a month. So you save two or three grand a year, and the average mobile home uh, tenant says fourteen years. So you save forty five thousand. It's not technically equity, but it's money you save through taxes. And some of these, and for example, uh, National Association of Realtors even talked about Cook County, Chicago. In the last twenty years, it hasn't really appreciated. Like the real estate hasn't like Illinois is not like. It's not like people move here, but it's not like super desirable. People are moving out. We're the most, us, I think we're the most moving out state of anything. And then they're moving to Texas, Tennessee, and Florida. So if you see those trends and you see the value that uh, manufactured housing helps so, uh, solve this affordable housing by providing all this tax benefits for the residents, it's a really cool niche. And our focal point is buying the, uh, Illinois, Ohio, Wisconsin, Iowa, basically the Midwest, Texas, Tennessee. And just getting, because the reason we would like it, because I was going back to the previous conversation, our cap rates are a lot higher. Uh, it's very stable. There's, you can't, there's not as many mobile home parks here. And the best part is you have really tax, the most favorable taxation structure on your K1. So traditional commercial real estate is, uh, 39 years, multifamily, which is great, 27.5. And then mobile home parks, the land improvements, the improvements, which is like 75, when you acquire a park, 75 to 85. It's 75 to 80%, you could write off. So you have these really cool for the, the land improvements. You have a really cool taxation structure. You serve affordable housing. And our goal is to just acquire as many parks over the next three funds. It's getting really, really co- competitive. I've been in the space for 15 years with my family. And everyone, like, going back to seeing, like, the retail properties closing, the hotel properties. So these people, like, where can we put our money in, our capital in? Because we need something that could be recession proof. And like ours is notoriously really strong during recessions because supply and demand. And then people that are middle class, okay, they lost their $56,000 job, but they have a $30,000 job, but their money saved, they go into mobile home parks. So we always have this demand for affordable housing. And that's what we serve. And we try to bring that nice position that correctly for our investors. Yeah, Jonathan, it's super interesting that the mobile home park niche and and just the way that you you're talking about that and returns just for our listeners when somebody goes and invests in in a mobile home park what are they looking for and and what's maybe an expected return range that somebody could expect investing in a mobile home park sure and in the last five years it's gotten like so many wall street obviously apollo group sovereign wealth funds about billions of billion dollars and then right now the benefit we do have is now Fannie and Freddie financing, which is the best, basically. They're doing 10-year non-recourse, which means you're not liable, obviously, with 
and then they're doing, they have 35 or 30 some percentage is allocated to affordable housing. So they have to donate or they have to like lend to affordable housing and mobile home parks been their favorite niche. And actually this is the first time ever uh, we're the high twos and low threes in qualified parks. And this is actually a little bit lower than multifamily for the first time ever. So we're like competing with that. And what that also does is our cap rates are going to compress. So everyone's knows about our niche before. Like you talked about this 10 years ago, it was 10 caps. So it was like, just even like, even like, Eight to ten caps. Ten caps would be secondary tertiary markets. You know, more major metros would be like eight caps. Now, six cap is the new eight cap. <laughs> but we're lucky, though. The good thing is we're lucky because we have the, the supply and demand. And then with the financing, you have that nice split, three-point split between if we're getting financing at 3% on uh, you know Fannie Freddie financing, non-recourse, very qualified, like just a great – it's a great – position because you also have that split and with the treasury last year the you know the 10-year treasury was 1.65 approximately right now we're like 0.65 so we have these great lending options right now so you still have that yes the prices sound crazy but you have that nice you know that nice spread between the the note and the actual cap rate so it's still it's still attractive but like if you were in this space like five or ten years ago You'd always hear all the 10 caps, 10 caps. And like, even people still talk about it, but it's like becoming such a rarity. There's about 6% institutional investors, but that's, and most everything was mom and pop. But now mom and pop see like, hey, we're on the news where all these magazines, like mobile home parks are the hot deal right now. So now they want like the best possible price. And then everyone's reaching out through mailers, phone calls, walk, you know, prospecting the park. And then obviously the brokers. So, the rates are about six and a half, seven and a half cap. If you're in the coastal cities, you might even be like five. Just it's it's very comparable to multifamily, honestly. And a little more, it's not as it's a little more management work. It's like you can have like a nice management, third party management. If you know your, you know, the underwriting is a little bit different. That's when people come into our niche. The underwriting is a little bit different than other asset classes. It's not the same as vice versa. You know, if you're a multifamily or mobile home parks, it's not the same. Obviously. Uh, we, we're basically vehicles and, and you want to be either land leasing, it's tenant on the home or the park owned homes. And then when you're doing the Fannie Freddie, they want to see less, obviously they want less liability. So they don't want you to park to own all the homes. So the major market metros, you're seeing five high fives, low six caps. It sounds crazy, but the good thing is you have like the tax benefits from the K1, remember so the 15 year for the land improvements. You have that factor, and then you have the fact that it was, like Wall Street Journal says, it's been the best performing asset from since the last downturn. Uh, and then it's also the lowest bank failure rate for the last 50 years based on bank data. So it's more of a stable investment. It's very similar to like self storage slash multifamily, but it's not as the stories of like, you know, the hype. It's getting more and more compressed and more and more competitive. Totally. So, Jonathan, where do you go from here? Do you have a target net worth you're trying to hit or, or passive income for yourself? Yeah, good question. Uh, I think ten million. Ten million, I think, because a, a couple of million. Like I'm in Chicago. Like you mentioned, New York. It's expensive to live. <laughs> if I go across the street, a salad's fourteen to seventeen bucks. Uh, you know, rents three, four thousand dollars minimum. Uh, it just, it just really expensive to live. And I actually have something sustainable, and I'll provide for others. I think ten million, and then minimum, I want to get to eighty thousand. In personal income a month, and it sounds like a lot, but I want to have that where it's like where I can have something sustainable long term. Because you know, a hundred thousand dollars. I mean, I made my first hundred thousand dollars, my first job, like in sales, and I got kind of spoiled by that. 
And like that was you know, 15 years ago and I was making 150, I was saving 33% of my money. And like, it's, it didn't go very far. And like being in like, if you're not like, if I'm like in these small towns, it goes a lot farther, but you're in a major city where, you know, you go out, it's hundred bucks, like hundred bucks. And like the cost of living, it's just so astronomically different. Uh, that's, that's why I want to get that number. And I basically, you know, over time with inflation and everything that's going on, I think 10 million is the number. Gotcha. So let me just ask you psychologically, what motivates you to get to that 10 million? Is it the the desire to not be poor? Is it the desire to live off the passive income? Is it the desire to retire early? Is it to provide for your family? What's really driving your your motivation here? Combination of everything. I think always, and being an entrepreneur, you're always driven because not everything is easy and you have to work so hard for it. And like every up and down, every cycle and every trend, it's like, okay, I have to really position. The older you get, you start seeing trends. I mean, I've studied a lot with, uh, I studied the, like, Recently, I just learned about the 1907, the panic of 1907. It was pretty fascinating. Obviously, I know from the family of the savings and loan disaster of the 80, late 80s, early 90s. So always being understand the risk averse, like there's always upcoming challenges and those things are not going to go as planned. And so that kind of gives you that, like, just to keep pushing just to be A, to help people, A, to like serve other people or B, and then just really understand that, like, Things could always change and pivot, and you have to be well positioned. It's all it comes down to, like really, just being keep moving forward and keep pushing forward because it's not easy. Yeah. So just wrapping up here, want to hit some rapid fire questions. What's been the most expensive car you've ever purchased? Good question. So I bought uh, a CLS in 2007. It was 2006 for 63. But the, here's a funny story behind it. I literally walked into the dealership. I had a uh, I crashed my CL before that. Then I got like a $6,000 basic Toyota. I pulled into like outside Chicago. It was like a Bentley dealership. Literally nobody walked up to me. I'm like 26 years old. Like I literally walked around the parking lot like three times. I called them up like, hey, where's the CLS? I saw it on, online. Like, where's this at? Like, like where you at? I'm like literally in a parking lot. The guy drove me there, pulls me back to like inside. We, we found the car was at the other location. We drive it back. I ended up purchasing it. And the the whole moral of the story was like literally nobody went up to me because I was a young kid. They, I just wasn't regular street clothes. I pull up in like a normal car, and they didn't. They just judged me based on that. And I'm on the car, and the guy gets up. And he's like, "You guys ignored him for like five minutes," and he ended up on the car, and they were all like agitated and pissed off. It was pretty funny though. So. <laughs> so what's worth the money to you? Is it cars? What's worth spending more money on? No, I mean, it comes down to well, the thing I bought it. I bought it in like, like, I could actually make money on it. So, like, there's a whole thing with like, if you get like a car, I bought it in February, early March, February, end of February, early March. And it was normally the other dealerships were like five or seven thousand dollars. And it was a CLS, which is kind of like, it was like a year old at this point and a little higher miles, but like, I bought it off season. So, you could actually do it. Like, I know there's people that teach us, like, you buy it off season, drive it for a little bit, and they could flip it. But, uh, no, nowadays I just do. I mean, the last five years I've been doing Uber. I'm just, I'm so low key nowadays. Like especially the niches I'm in. Like I'm literally low key. My own brand T-shirts and you know, yeah. just low key. Yeah. But like that was when I was younger. You know, like everyone was that phase. You want to like, hey, I got this. <laughs> <laughs> How old were you when you became a millionaire? Do you remember? Uh, about thirty-seven. Officially, it was through like sure. just basically paying down the, the note. Yep. Okay, and and how much do you spend annually? Annual household spending. 175. My bills are pretty high. 175. And what's your beyond rent? I get rent's probably your biggest, right? Because you don't have yeah. a primary mortgage. But exactly. beyond that, what are your biggest expenses? 
food, entertainment. I like going, well, nowadays, this year it's actually a lot lower, but normally I go to like a lot of sporting games and I usually do the snub up and I always want to be like the first or second row. <laughs> it's just like, oh, nice. it's a fun experience. I like going there because you can actually like hang out, like players give you a high five. It's fun. So. Yeah, yeah. As much as you're comfortable sharing here, what's been your range of, of household income through your working life? It's, I mean, like when I first started working, I worked this, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with this, but it was called BB. It was a clothing store back in like 15 years ago. I ended up being the number one seller in the company. And I started off at just hourly, it was eight bucks plus commission. And then I ended up being, after my first year, I ended up being the number one in the company. And I was started from 125, 150, 170. And today's money, because that was like 2006 to 2009, uh, about 170 to 190 with the, you know, the, the value of money today. And then 2011, 12, it was terrible. Like I had that, like I mentioned, the SRZ Sunrise. I was like, oh, this is going to be great. And I got, like, you know, I just got into real estate at that point, in the brokerage side. I had like two years, I just literally lived up savings. <laughs> it was bad. It was bad. And like, even, <laughs> like, and then like, and then I got into the park side with my dad. So like, that was my saving grace. And that's why I'm like so loyal to that business. And then uh, the last few years has been like tech with this and then the next few years it's gonna be crazy with the fund um yeah it's gonna be good it's gonna be good i'm like really excited and i think i'm really well positioned based on obviously tech's always gonna do really well and then the mobile parks do really well their sessions and just right. and i have, have everything positioned correctly now nice nice good for you obviously you've been extremely successful so just final question here and i know you mentioned some advice and jason talked about how to get started but what would be your your final advice to somebody or any mistakes that you've made that you would caution against here in closing? Great question. I think the biggest thing is go out and find like my biggest thing is like, I'm fortunate now, but like I had to go out and be in the room where you feel uncomfortable, go out to people and just don't ask for advice. Just listen and get into the room where like, try to get in front of eight, nine figure entrepreneurs, but don't just like ask them for their time because their time shows so much. Either you pay them or help them out and somehow kind of compensate them and get those relationships. Cause those are going to end up paying you. And like, when you learn from someone that's eight, nine figures, they're going to tell you like very creative structures, how to think differently, how to structure things and not just listening to the typical advice you see in books and stuff. Like, and I love books, but like having that like a live mentor and just getting those mentors like really kind of position you correctly. I think that is the fastest way to success. And I really encourage people to like go out and find people that you really look up to and they're like doing honest hard work. And if they're do still doing boots on the ground, they're still working and they have, tens of millions of dollars, those are the people you want to go after because they actually still care enough that they're still doing boots on the ground. They're still working day to day, even though they don't have to. So I think that's the fastest way to success is really find those people in your local market, like wherever you can reach out and be, and it'll be intimidating at first, but you're going to get more and more skill set and try to add value to their lives. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Well, appreciate you sharing the advice and thanks for coming on and unveiling your story a little bit. So everybody, that's Jonathan Networth of 2.2 million. Thanks again for coming on the show. My pleasure. Thanks for having me on, guys. Thanks for listening to the Millionaires Unveiled podcast with Clark Sheffield and Chase Mantinson. For more stories, investment opportunities, and information, check out our website at millionairesunveiled.com. See you next time when you'll hear from another everyday millionaire.